0: ED's Sustainability Uncovered podcast is hosted in partnership with Lloyds Bank. We're delighted to have Lloyds Bank involved as they support UK business in the transition to a more sustainable future. Businesses of all sizes have the chance to power and accelerate this transition and seize the huge opportunities presented by it. Lloyds Bank works with clients not only to help finance this transition, but also to understand the challenges they face and the business prospects they look to capitalize on. To find out more, search Lloyds Bank Sustainability, Lending is subject to status. Hello and welcome to the EDI podcast broadcast in partnership with Lloyds Bank. It's the week ending Friday 9th of June and this is Sustainability Uncovered, a show for anyone and everyone working in or passionate about sustainability and climate action. Coming up in today's innovation themed show. We'll be catching up with innovation intelligence platform Springwise who give us their take on how businesses can work with climate innovators to accelerate change.
1: Remember why you are working with this innovator it's because they're giving you something that you lack within your own organisation and not to bring them on board and then try and Make them work in the way that you work. You know, don't make them sort of adhere to your processes.
0: We'll then hear from venture capital firm, Collaborative Fund, who share some of the ways that we can scale up transformative green innovations.
2: The door is opening for transformational technology, for transformational companies to really, really have a massive impact on climate. Um, And so the, the idea is to usher more companies through that door so they can reach scale and have maximum impact.
0: And finally, we'll be jumping aboard a liquefied natural gas powered cruise ship for a chat with MSC Cruises about the maritime sector's grand voyage towards net zero.
3: One of the exciting technologies that we've looked at that we put on one of our ships that was launched last year, MSC World Europa, is something called a fuel cell and basically it's a completely different way of generating electricity and heat.
0: Plus we'll be reflecting on some major breakthroughs when it comes to tackling greenwashing, some developments in the net zero insurance sector, a quick look forward to COP28 later this year and of course a summer edition of our hotly contested sustainability quiz. All of that and more covered in this week's episode of Sustainability Uncovered. So yes, hello and welcome along to Sustainability Uncovered. ED's publisher Luke Nichols here, ready to bring you some of the most inspiring and exciting sustainability and climate action stories from across the globe. And if you couldn't already tell, I'm very excited to say that after eight episodes we are now finally sitting in a room where we have installed some soundproofing here in the studio. Uh, And I'm delighted to be joined here in the the recording studio, I guess we can call it now, by the Sustainability Supremes, uh, that are ED's content editor Matt Mace Deputy Editor Sarah George and Senior Conference Producer Jade Burnett. Matt, hello. Um, did you get the Supreme's reference there, or is that? Um... No, everyone seems to get new, glossy new job titles, and I'm, <laughs> I'm still just boring old
4: continent. editor. Eh? No
5: one telling you, Matt. No, <laughs> <you've> been, <laughs> been left
4: left behind on this uh, episode of growth, apparently. Promotions all round. Um, <laughs> apart from Matt, um, I'm, anyway. I'm very
0: happy for everyone. Truly really. good, good. How are you doing? You had a busy week.
4: Yeah, very busy week. Um, I've been. I'm not really jet-setting, but I was in Geneva for literally 24 hours pretty much um, to go and see P&G. They let journalists into their vault for the first time ever, which is their big kind of hush-hush innovation centre where they take their kind of um, uh, corporate consumers to explore innovative ways to kind of help consumers become more sustainable. So it's looking at like AI. Um, It's looking at kind of... Smart fridges, um, kind of sensory aspects that tell a consumer when they're out of a product, that type of thing. But with a big lens also on how they are kind of reaching their net zero goal for their products and services. Um, so got to see that. There's going to be a feature up on the website very soon, and a special podcast episode off the back
0: of it. Sounds right up your street, that Great, um, Sarah hello you've had quite a month yourself haven't you
5: i have it's far less glamorous than matt so i spent last week pretty much in bed with covid um, and one of the interviews i did for this episode i did while i was sick so please excuse my nasal tones um, in the first instance um, i caught that on my holiday for the year which was to valencia in spain which was really relaxing um, it was a bit of whiplash then to come back and be sick um, and to be working and i'm not going to lie my brain's still not completely logged back in. Mm-hmm. So well. I'm, I'm here to beg for the listeners' forgiveness.
0: <laughs> 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 Good, we'll ease you back in. It's a relatively stable episode, this one, I, I, I think, I hope. Um, okay, and completing the, the trio, we have our self professed climate activist, Central London Cycling Trainee, uh, that is Jade Burnett. Jade, welcome back to the podcast.
6: <laughs> Thank you, it's great to be here. Loving the podcast makeover, the studio. Yeah, yeah it's looking
0: all yeah. Right, yeah. It's a Had a glow up, yeah. Starting to find it me.
6: looks like the cast of um, 60 Minute Makeover of coming coming <laughs> in <laughs> Lawrence and bowrens <Willen-Burren's> giving it a <laughs> touch. <laughs> instantly lost
0: half the audience not, not enough velvet it <laughs> there for my 90s references um on your way in this morning you look like you've packed for the whole weekend i know these podcasts can take a while to edit but what's that all about
6: <laughs> um yeah i actually haven't packed very appropriately my bag kind of screams city girl goes to the countryside for a weekend um but yeah i'm going camping this weekend which is really lovely i'm looking forward to it although i feel like my woodland eco retreat is somewhat less enchanting now i know it's 10 minutes
4: from the office <laughs> yeah which she was talking me through the route and i was like oh i live like five minutes away from there yeah, <laughs> yeah
5: we
6: were telling her which pubs did the best
5: pine, best food worst food
4: right okay
0: She's i to like,
5: my shot. tent in the
6: morning and i just see matt popping out for a pint yeah. of milk
5: <laughs> that's <laughs> nice milk. nice
0: little camping break um <laughs> yeah a good weekend for it considering how hot it is at the moment as well mm-hmm. it's boiling yeah. out there speaking of hot yeah. This isn't a segue into one no. of our interviews. I thought you were moving uh, back in. Yeah. But it's that time again where I ask you each to, to fill me in on some of the hottest sustainability stories of the past few weeks, see what I did there. Um, so each of you have hopefully brought a standout story of the moment to enlighten us with in a kind of 30-second excerpt. Matt, let's start with you. You've got your phone out, I'm because you've got your story loaded up on it. Um, what's your sort of need-to-know story for this episode of the pod?
4: My need-to-know story, unfortunately, doesn't start exactly on a positive tone, but um, there has been some big new um, research uh, published in the journal Science Um, this week or probably last week if you're depending on when you're listening to it Um, essentially a a massive group of researchers across um, a load of different countries have examined the uh, net zero pledges of the essentially any country that accounts for more than 0.1% of global emissions Um, the pledges they made their NDCs as part of the Paris Agreement which were then updated as part of the Glasgow Climate Pact they have been analysed and basically 90% of those targets um, fall under a, into a category of little confidence that they will de- be delivered on time or in full and do what they need to do to help reach the uh, the Paris Agreement and I think it's what's starting about it is that the UK which itself has an unlawful mm. net zero target which has been updated and we still don't know if that's lawful yet or not is ranked as one of the better ones um, so it's uh, it's not good. They the researchers do recommend, though, that actually making the target legally binding, like the UK has done, will go some way to kick-starting some of the policies that, that can get us to net zero. So it's not doom and gloom, there is a way to turn it around, but that window
0: shrinking. Yeah, god, wow. Um, Friday feeling.
5: Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah, happy Friday everyone.
0: Yeah, it's got, got me thinking about, that. COP28, I think we mentioned beforehand, didn't we, it's sort of, I think in the run-up to that is quite an important bit of research Yeah, that's and the,
4: the UAE obviously hosting um, COP28 has. One of the worst performing net zero
0: pledges, um, ranked by yeah, ranked yeah. by um, uh, ranked by that study. So lots of work to do. Shrouded in controversy as well, isn't it? Particularly in relation to the whole presidency. Yes. Um, Sultan Al Jabba, chief executive of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, who's also the president of COP28. So what could possibly go wrong? Um, we'll see. Anyway, that's probably another episode for another time. Sarah. Your standout story is any more positive
5: um i wouldn't say it's more positive but it's less existential dread um, <laughs> and more analytical um it's about a story that i published called um why have so many major players quit the net zero insurance alliance so essentially we are now up to 25 insurers more than 25 sorry leaving this year um alone and literally within the space uh within the space of a week lloyds of london axa allianz swiss re Mapfre, Sampo holdings left so right. these were some of the bigger players that left after some smaller players went um, earlier this year. Um, a bunch of them said that this was to do with antitrust laws in the U.S. that prevent um, companies from collaborating on climate-related things. Um, but people who are watching this from the outside think that that might be a little fib to cover up the fact um, that the Republican Party in the U.S. is pushing this anti-ESG um, agenda yeah. and they're really just trying to pander to that um Agenda. So it's a standout for me um, in that it is a bit of analysis into how this isn't just something that a few politicians are saying and people are I- ignoring it as crazy talk on t- on Twitter. Like the big money is mm. sadly. Um, willing to bow bow to a bit of that pressure.
0: Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting piece that one that you sent over, particularly that note um, of the kind of greenwashing accusations in the finance industry which have prompted that pivot from green euphoria to green fear, I think you noted. Um, Some firms now in the finance industry seemingly more reluctant to Mm -hmm. fund green companies and assets due to these greenwashing concerns. There was all
5: that hype at COP26 and now it seems like there's a really pivotal moment.
0: Yeah, balance certainly isn't right right now. Okay, so two slightly negative (laughs) stories to bring the tone down. Um, More on greenwashing in a bit as well, well though. Um, But Jade, hoping you can kind of save us here, bring us a bit of a Mm -hmm. positive addition to this. I'm
6: actually a rare sunshine today. So, my story is Co op's restoration partnership with RSPB. So, as part of their 10 point climate action plan, they're going to support the restoration of upland peatland habitats equivalent to. 400 football pitches um so it's worth noting that carp will not count these carbon renewables uh, towards their own carbon targets and instead there will be an extra additional benefit <clears throat> also speaking about football pitches shout out to Leyton orient for their motion to league one
4: right. well, i can't believe you were the one that brought up a football uh, sports I will, I will say though like 400 football pitches sounds massive but i've never got this way of communicating like It's like when people say um, it's equivalent to taking like X amount of cars off road. That I can visualise. I
0: can't picture four
4: hundred football pitches next to each other. I don't. I don't have a scope of how big that is. Yeah. I know
0: it's big. The stats are incredible when they use football pitches. I think, in terms of deforestation, I'm bringing it back out, down on the yeah, negative yeah. now. But the amount of football pitches that are lost almost like every minute or something. Yeah. I remember some stat yeah. that made me think, well, wait a minute. In like well, 60 technically, minutes, the football pitches are made because there's now space for them. But if, yeah.
4: a football <laughs> is,
5: if a football pitch isn't doing it for you, Rachel Kai actually said in her speech at our event earlier this year that deforestation today, historically, all of it, size of India. Yeah. <gasps>
4: See, I, I, I don't really know how big India is, but I've seen it on a map. So, yeah, I'm I can, I can picture that humor. one. <laughs>
0: Alright, <laughs> let's, let's move on from that. <laughs> Thanks for bringing me up to speed on uh, all of that. I, I mentioned that we're going to be touching on greenwashing a bit more in this episode, and I, I think actually we'll do that right now, because the topic's come up in nearly every episode of Sustainability Uncovered so far, and I think this week it's only right that we give it its own little segment, because, um, Sarah, a lot's gone on in the world of greenwashing, if there is such a world, in the last few weeks, with new guidance coming out and adverts being banned left, right and centre, so... Given how well you perform under pressure against backing music, I thought this was the perfect time to bring another time challenge your way. So I've dug out some royalty-free music here, which I think will chime well with the greenwashing theme. This one's titled, Climate Crisis Background Music, Royalty Free. Um, and Sarah, if you're up for the challenge in 60 <laughs> seconds, I'd like you to give us your very own greenwashing rundown. So uh, are we ready?
5: I am ready. I should say that this is about one story rather than greenwashing as a whole, which right. I couldn't do justice in <laughs> 60 <laughs> seconds.
0: Excuses out. Right. Um, over to you in three, two, one.
5: Yeah, so the story I wanted to cover in our little greenwashing news in brief is about the UK's advertising standards agency, which has this week banned three ad campaigns from the fossil fuel industry one from Shell, one from Repsol, and one from Petronas. Um, focusing on the one from Shell, it essentially ran as a video ad for, and a billboard campaign across the UK last year. Um, the tagline being the UK is ready for cleaner energy, and Bristol is cleaner for. Um, Sorry, Bristol is ready for cleaner energy. Um, campaign group Ad Free Cities asked the ASA to consider banning the adverts on the grounds that they would mislead people into thinking that Shell is a sustainable company, with most of its investments going into cleaner energy. Um, but actually, only about one to two percent of its investments are going into cleaner energy in the UK. The ASA actually with, um, stood with Ad Free Cities um, and agreed that Shell was essentially lying through a em- mission. The ASA also made those complaints um, from Petronas and Repsol that I mentioned. Um, Again, both of these were about lying through a mission, essentially not including full information about their financing and energy portfolios. So that's it in a nutshell. I'm hoping that's 60 seconds. One
0: minute Um, and 15 Angry. seconds and that was almost the exact length of the track so there you go and what a morbid sounding track that ended that, up becoming well, That was not, yeah that was not uh, <laughs> <laughs> a Round of applause for <laughs> Sarah I
5: maintain that it sounds like Downton Abbey theme
4: <laughs> I, I have a, a follow-up question if Sarah if that's okay Oh God, okay. It's not it's, it's not like a what it is more what are your thoughts because I, I, I was actually speaking to someone about this story the other day and obviously like the the sound is is that it takes so long from an ad to get flagged to the actual action mm. like that's been out for 11 months if you're a big polluter or a company like Shell, like do you reckon the the benefits of getting that ad out and then outweigh the cons of it being wrapped about a year later? I, I think it's probably going to sway more of the disengaged or those that are a bit oblivious to actually what's happening, and they'll go, oh, you pull up to a petrol pump, but, oh, this is OK, uh, uh, my car's now a carbon-neutral journey. I, I, I feel like they're more than happy to probably take uh, the repercussions down the line if it means they can keep pumping out stuff now.
5: Yeah I'd I'd agree it is quite a long turn around. I'd say that the risk then is for small and medium companies mm. that don't have the budget to just take a sunk cost of a, a challenge will greenhush and not say anything. Whether it actually stops the big companies from making these adverts I don't know. I will say for Shell though that is the second time that it's got hit with this Um, It got hit by the Dutch Advertising Standards Agency a couple of years ago, and that one did come with quite a hefty fine. So I guess if ours have more teeth and get done quicker, it would have more of an impact. And then if it happens in multiple markets, maybe it would have an impact. But you're right in that getting just a slap on the wrist in one instance probably isn't going to do much for your really big company. Mm. I'd be minded to agree with with mm. the person you spoke to,
0: Matt? It's a really good point, though, and it? like th- it's good that it's all being kind of cracked down on almost retrospectively. But there should almost be, I'm assuming that some of what the guidance is about is is stopping the adverts getting out there in the first mm-hmm, place because mm-hmm. the damage is kind of done in a way. Isn't it if the billboard's been up there for a couple of months or mm-hmm. whatever before it's taken down. Anyway, nailed it once again, Sarah. Thank you very much for the greenwashing no, update. No, she didn't.
4: You gave her a minute, and she went. 15 seconds over,
0: what's that like, 25% over? Well, that's 15 seconds, more information. I was so.
6: thinking
0: it when you said, oh, it's close. one is not. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Right, well, next thing, one of you guys can uh, uh, take and this Jake challenge. And uh, bring it on. And, okay, noted. Um, but let's crack on with the show, because we're delivering up three interviews in this episode of Sustainability Uncovered, all of which are connected by an innovation theme. Sarah, do you want to tell us a bit more about this theme and, and about who we've got uh, coming up?
5: Yeah, sure. So essentially, um, very kindly, uh, Luke and other senior colleagues at EDI me too, pulled together a, po- a podcast on green innovation. And I was like, wow, that's very unhelpful, absolutely broad topic, all manner of ways it could go, <laughs> all manner of people we could um, speak to. But equally, it's such an important topic Um, I was actually speaking to a Chief Sustainability Officer the other day and I really liked his theory. He essentially mentioned that innovation for the Industrial Revolution got us into the climate crisis, so we now need to innovate our way um, out of it. So a crucial part of of this jigsaw puzzle. Um, So yeah, this is an innovation-themed episode ahead of an innovation-themed event we're hosting online at the end of the month on the 28th. I'm sure we can talk more about that um, later. Um, I'm delivering two of our interviews today with an innovation platform, so essentially a veritable encyclopedia of green innovations that is Springwise, and with Venture Capital Fund, Collaborative Fund, Um, Matt's delivering our third and final interview with MSC, um, who have some really interesting innovations in the way of low carbon cruises.
0: Mm Okay, uh, let's go in that order then. So we'll start with Springwise. I can't we haven't featured this, these guys on the podcast before. These are Edie's innovation content partner, it's worth noting. So here's Sarah's chat with Angela Everett, who's the content director of Springwise in full.
5: Yes, so I am recording the next part of this podcast um, from the glitz and glamour of um, my home. As you can probably tell from my voice, this is because I am down with COVID at the moment. Um, but in any case, we power on. Uh, and I think we'd be remiss to run a special edition um, on green innovation and clean tech without our innovation partner, Springwise. So I'm happy to have on the line with me today, Angela, who is the content director at Springwise. Angela, thank you so much for your time. How are you doing?
1: Hello, I'm doing well and um, I'm sad to hear that you've got COVID. So, um, no, thank you for having me on this. It's it's a great pleasure to hit, to be here.
5: No, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. And obviously, Edie and Springwise have been partners now for a couple of years. It's totally flown by. Um, But for those who are listening, Angela, and might not be super familiar with Springwise, could we have a quick quick introduction?
1: Of course. Yes. So Springwise is the leading global publisher of innovations that are making sustainable and positive change. Um, so we publish three news stories every weekday about early to mid, mid-stage startups, and that's sourced from around the world. And our audience comprises investors, senior business leaders, educators, thought leaders, basically anyone who is curious about innovation and ideas um, that fall under the umbrella broadly of sustainability. So um, our editorial framework covers um, climate change, mitigation, biodiversity loss, um, food security, basically anything. We're we're very much in lockstep with uh, the goals of of the UN SDGs um, and the the goals of the, the the Paris Climate Agreement as well. So, yeah, we're we're very kind of we're we're close to ED, You know, we're we're kind of very um, happy bedfellows. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's springwise in a nutshell.
3: Got it. And
5: yeah, I remember looking at Springwise when we first partnered and thinking, oh, my God, this will be so useful because Edie comes at this from the sort of other end of the scale. Whereas you guys are looking at startups and scale ups, Um, we traditionally work with the sustainability and energy teams um, at businesses and something that I've seen. Um, on that on that from that viewpoint um, is more larger businesses looking to work with um, with startups to meet their enhanced sustainability goals and I wonder Angela whether that's something you've seen from the case studies in in your catalogue from the other side of things
1: it is it is and I mean big business um, as you'll you know you'll be well aware Sarah big businesses always look to smaller businesses startups um to innovate, you know, to 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 grow, you know, to plug gaps, um, whether that be, you know, to diversify a product stream. Um, but more pressingly at the moment, I think there is a real sense of urgency in big business that they they need to meet sustainability goals. They need to look to their energy efficiency. They need to, you know, they're they, I mean, they're trying to be good corporate citizens and 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 become net zero and you know, their big business just doesn't have the they're not nimble enough, you know, through size and and sort of structure to be able to to push forward quickly enough. And so they are looking to to innovators, to founders who are really pushing the envelope um, to to plug their own gaps. And and I think more so than sort of outright acquisition these days, what we're seeing is partnership and and, you know, yes some some partnerships you know are kind of in danger of of being labeled as greenwashing on the part of big business however we we do see some meaningful partnerships coming through um i mean green innovation you know it's a broad touch um but let me um why don't i give you some examples of the most recent actually some really nice uh, partnership examples that we've spotted uh, and are up on our site um you know from the last couple of weeks so Solar panels, not new, obviously, Um, but a concept called active buildings um, that uses perovskite. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Uh, Perovskite solar cell technology is really pushing boundaries and um, it's been successfully demonstrated um, on two buildings at Swansea University for several years now. But more recently, the university has signed up to a three year research collaboration with Tata Steel. Um, and so what that will do is to develop this solar roofing technology in these, these special panels, which are going to be greener, lighter, cheaper, more flexible. And the really cool thing about this technology is that it's painted directly onto buildings, onto steel buildings. Um, so obviously for, for Tata, you know, they, they get an absolutely cutting edge technology. The university gets resources that they otherwise wouldn't have to de- develop this. Um, a bit of a different example just this week uh, KPMG was the latest of the big four to announce a partnership with a startup called Circular Um, they're also working with Deloitte um, but this is a it's a digital passport basically um, based on blockchain and what it offers is absolute full visibility on the supply chain you know so for if you think about big business their their supply chains you know those those value chains are so complex you know often they're, they're not even sure you know they don't even have full visibility because you know they've acquired a business that has its own set of suppliers you know and, and down the chain it goes um but this really allows for kind of absolute transparency around more raw materials specifically um this is why kpmg is interested because it allows for um, full visibility on, on raw materials that go into lithium batteries. And so this is going to help, you know, the, the big businesses that KPMG KPMG advise to, to be able to confidently say, yes, you know, we are sustainable throughout our supply chain. Um, something else, I mean, a, a sector that really is leveraging partnerships to great effect is food and beverage, um, particularly around Reusable packaging, alternative to plastics, um, and this next example is an absolute favourite of mine because I'm so uh, at the moment. If, I don't know, something feels super gut zeitgeisty sometimes, doesn't it? And seaweed is absolutely one of those things right now. Um, so one of my favourites that we've we spotted a while back, but we've we've sort of revisited because um, they've just announced a great partnership. Is a US startup called Lollyware, and they produce um, straws and um, eating utensils out of seaweed and they're fully compostable so you know completely kind of doing away with single-use plastic um, and they've just announced a partnership with a big restaurant chain in the US called Jose Andres um, so yeah I mean just just three like again a sort of very kind of quick gallop through three very different examples but um I think it just shows the kind of the sort of promise that's out there in terms of, you know, working together. But also, I think this big business just realises the urgency of what needs to be done. I, I don't know if that's your sense too, Sarah.
5: I mean, from my position, of course, we're going to say that that we do. Um, we've been seeing massive growth, for example, in the Race to Zero, um, in the Science-Based Targets Initiative, huge interest in the new Science-Based Targets for Nature, um so from the businesses that read read us of course we're we're seeing that um and Angela listening to listening to you I think our brains must work quite similar I'm also a catalog of these sustainability case studies um I wanted to come back to something you mentioned though this is all super positive but obviously not every partnership is truly meaningful as you mentioned some rightly get called out for greenwashing some wrongly get called out Um, We've seen a lot of partnerships get off the ground on a trial basis and then maybe fizzle out. So what would your advice be, Angela, for people that are listening in sustainability teams at businesses wanting to not do that, to have a meaningful relationship with with an innovator that's that's long term and that makes a real world impact?
1: I think, you know, one of the key things is to and honestly, I don't envy. I don't envy um, the the sustainability teams you know particularly you know chief sustainability officers because I don't think there's one like consistent job description for that role right I don't think it's the same at any one organization you know from one to the next Um, and I think probably you have to be an absolute master at diplomacy and probably working in a very kind of matrix like framework within your organization however I would say that remember why you are working with this innovator it's because they're giving you something that you lack in within your own organization um and not to bring them on board and then try and make them work in the way that you work um you know don't make them sort of adhere to your processes or you know kind of suddenly become part of your culture because that's when suddenly, you know, they just become part of your incumbent sort of legacy business. Um, so that's the main thing, really. And, I, and I've seen this firsthand, you know, working at, at other organisations um, that have brought very innovative startups on board. Um, you know, and these, are, these have been media organisations, so slightly different. However, I think the, the sort of principle remains the same, that, you know, if you try and suddenly mould, you know, this kind of very dynamic probably group of people to to your own thinking and ways of working then that completely defeats the object you know you absolutely lose that magic that you're bringing on board for a reason um and just really you know again another way to to make sure your relationships are meaningful is to truly understand the startup mindset you know before you embark on you know any given relationships be out be out you know events be be out at you know or you know have an accelerated program where you're kind of meeting a lot of you know um, startups and getting to really understand them and what makes them tick because you know it can be a very um, productive symbiotic relationship actually because I think on the flip side for startups having a mentor um, in the form of a, a kind of senior person at a bigger business or or something you know that objective pair of eyes you know to challenge and ask questions is hugely beneficial and can help get structure around a thing you know in terms of you know are the finances right you know are you are you solid um so i think you know it can be a very fruitful two-way street if if you do it if you do it well yeah completely understood and i'm i'm
5: glad to see about that two-way street thing you mentioned at the beginning of this talk angela that the collaboration used to be more about acquisitions now there's all these new kinds of collaborations like the accelerators you mentioned so fingers crossed we are on on the edge of change in that way
1: absolutely and you know what the accelerator idea again it's not new but again this is another thing that suddenly you know is on our radar a lot more at spring um and we're actually you know we're, we're sort of being asked because of the nature of what we do around spotting um you know innovative startups at their very early stages we're kind of um, sort of beginning to to help bigger companies you know with that kind of just sort of research really I mean because it's there are so many people out there doing brilliant things you know I'm sure if you're just embarking on this as a you know someone who's been tasked with starting an accelerator program it might seem quite daunting but honestly it's just the it's a really great way of again I mean I'm sort of repeating myself but making the point that it's mutually beneficial because one of the key challenges for these very small, you know, businesses that are scaling up is money. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of the bold truth of it, but financing these projects is a massive issue. And so, you know, they, they have to turn to either, you know, obviously financial institutions, but often the big banks won't look at small businesses. They're too small, (laughs) you know? So um, yeah, working in a kind of accelerator environment with bigger businesses it's really fruitful completely understand
5: that and angela i love how we could have spent this time going over the challenges of these collaborations but sorry listening to you um i feel like there's so much passion and so much energy and so much opportunity there so thank you so much for bringing that to this episode of the podcast
1: happy to do so
0: yes thank you very much to angela everett and to Springwise there right sarah let's keep things rolling so who do we speak to next for this innovation special
5: Yeah, so my next interview for this one, and I should mention that the one you've just heard, if you couldn't tell already, was when I had COVID. This one was from my heady pre-COVID days, um, and it's with Collaborative Fund, who are a US-based venture capital um, fund, and their focus is on green innovation. Um, But as we'll discover in this interview, they don't focus on a lot of the traditional clean tech in the energy transition. They're much more focused on um, material innovation, behaviour change and systems change rather than the energy um, aspect. So really, really nice to hear from that perspective. We speak to a lot of big businesses, but not a lot of maybe venture capitalists. So a look behind the world.
0: Of VC was really interesting. Mm. Okay, so uh, let's hear it. And here's Sarah's chat with Sophie Bacalar, who's a partner at a Venture Capital Firm a Collaborative Fund in full.
5: Yes, so as we've just discussed in the studio, sustainability innovation is a really broad topic and there's so many great people we could have interviewed for this podcast. Um, But I think a really important and sometimes overlooked part of sustainability innovation is exactly how to properly fund it to scale it up. And with that in mind, I am so happy to have Sophie from Collaborative Fund on the line with me today. That's Sophie Bacalar, who is their partner and head of climate. So Sophie, thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to chat more about uh, finance and sustainability and yeah investing in innovation.
5: Great, and thank you for dialing in, especially with the with the time difference. I understand you're based in New York.
2: Yes, that's right. Um, and always always happy to chat and um, dial in anytime.
5: Great. So I think we should probably start with a brief introduction to Collaborative Fund because I certainly wasn't aware of it in the first instance. I definitely heard from some of the startups that you guys have invested in, um, like Lyft, Mango Materials um, and Cure Labs. But it would be great to have an introduction to the fund itself, please, Sophie, to get us started.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So Collaborative Fund has been around since 2010, so um, over a decade now. And our investment philosophy has stayed really consistent since the very, very beginning. Um, and that is investing at the intersection of for profit and for good. So the idea is to invest in companies that are pushing the world forward in some way, you know, having a positive impact, while still thinking about scale and growth and reaching maximum, um, maximum potential and, and opportunity um, on a global scale. So the way that that manifests into our climate initiative is that we're focused on materials, energy, and supply chains that are better for the planet, but without asking consumers to sacrifice. And I do think that's a really critical point because there are certainly lots of really wonderful impact focused funds who are, who are really oriented around pure impact and, and climate um, from that angle. And then, of course, there's a very healthy ecosystem in venture capital of uh, for profit only or for profit first funds. Uh, but what we do at Collaborative is, I think, quite unique in that we think of those two concepts in tandem or in parallel. So, for profit and for good in equal measure, not one um, more important than the other.
5: Got it. And when we look at the VC landscape, there's definitely a lot of different approaches from different funds. So what exactly do Collab Fund invest in, in terms of what types of sustainability categories are you looking at um, and what stage or, or size are the startups that you look at? I know that some look at really early stage and some some look at ones that are almost on that scale up side of things.
2: Yeah, this is another thing that's pretty unique about Collaborative Fund, because we actually invest across the whole capital stack. Um, we started as a seed stage, more traditional uh, venture capital fund. But at this stage, you know, over a decade later, we have vehicles that invest all the way from super, super early, like you know, pre, pre-seed, um, all the way to growth companies. Um, and within climate, we, we actually have two dedicated climate vehicles. One's called Shared Future Fund, um, and that's a fund that's focused on that really, really early stage, you know, companies just forming or maybe not even um, fully formed just yet. And that fund provides what we call catalytic capital to climate companies across all types of sectors within climate. So it's it's a very broad, um, broad focus, Um, again, just very early, early stage. And it's primarily programmatic. Uh, we Partner with a lot of accelerators like Activate and Airminers and Y Combinator to write 100K checks into about 100 climate companies per year. And there are a lot of reasons why we do this, um, but one of those is to sort of catalyze the whole climate ecosystem and just lift up climate companies um, across all different types of technologies and, and sectors. And then on almost the other end of the spectrum, we have our later stage climate fund called Collab SOS. And that's a $250 million fund that we launched early last year. Um, That fund generally invests more in like series B or series A rounds, um, sometimes even series C. So, So not all the way at the other end of the spectrum, but definitely much later. And that fund is Primarily focused on materials, energy, and supply chains. So, basically, the way you can think about that is we are reimagining supply chains kind of from the ground up um, away from fossil fuels. So, all the materials we use in our everyday lives um, and the supply chains that are, are used to propel them, we're rethinking those um, with newer innovations that, that are better for the planet.
5: Got it. And I wanted to touch on that material piece, because so often when I see about VC, its investment in low carbon energy technology, like we've all seen the headlines about Bill Gates and and nuclear and about VC for uh, crazy next gen renewables. But as you mentioned, Collaborative Fund has such an interest in alternative sustainable materials um, and in supply chain for materials and products as as well so how come there is such an interest on the materials side of thing compared to maybe some other vcs
2: yeah i mean that's precisely why or at least one of the reasons obviously those initiatives are incredibly important um, the ones that you referenced but we feel not nearly enough capital or focus has gone towards alternative materials you know i think it's less than 13 percent of investment dollars since 2010 went towards things like materials or manufacturing and supply chains, you know even though those sectors actually contribute over sixty percent of greenhouse gas emissions, it's incredibly impactful um, and it's a space where we feel we can have a really meaningful impact because there aren't as many investors who, have, who are as focused on these categories. And then of course it's an area where we see tremendous opportunity you know we're talking about trillions and trillions of dollars of supply chains that need to be Rebuilt, you know. Just think about what it takes to remake everything we consume, everything we wheat, we wear, we eat, you know, the materials that we use to make our buildings. Um, just everything being remade away from fossil fuels. That's that's a massive and exciting undertaking, and one that we are excited to be at the forefront of. We're seeing a lot of really great leaps in technology happening on the new material side, and it's um, opened up a lot of really breakthrough technology and um, uh, a lot of really exciting new companies are emerging in this environment. So it's it's a space you get really excited about.
5: Great. Now, this wasn't on the questions list, but I was going to lead on from that. Do you have a material that you could maybe give a really quick case study of and say that and give a flavor of the sort of materials that you guys are investing in?
2: Well, I'm certainly not allowed to give a favorite. <laughs> I think i get in trouble for that. But there are a lot of really cool um, new materials emerging right now. I'll, I'll give a couple examples of companies we've invested in. Um, there's a company called Natural Fiber Welding that is making 100% plant-based alternatives to all sorts of materials, but um, most notably to start alternatives to leather. So replacing leather in you know apparel and in automobiles and all all, all sorts of um, Products across different sectors, um, and then on the you know on a, in, a, in a very different um, space, we invest in a company called Brimstone Energy that's making carbon negative cement. So you have you know apparel and automobiles being innovated, and then you also have the buildings that we um, are constructing being innovated. So it, I think it shows sort of the breadth of what we need to accomplish by investing in, in alternatives to historically fossil fossil-based um, uh, materials great thank
5: you for those examples yeah the leather alternatives is definitely one that people definitely keep an eye on and debate regularly on my linkedin feed maybe it's just me um, but it seems super interesting mine too <laughs> <laughs> Great. So we've talked a lot about what you guys are investing in and I wanted to come back to like governance and how to run a VC for for a bit. I was interested to see that the fund recently assembled its own sustainability board, um, not only with people internally, but with senior sustainability professionals at external um, companies. Um, It'd be great to hear a little bit more about that and how that helps to steer the fund's approach
2: yeah this is such an exciting initiative and i have to say you know i had high hopes for our advisory board when we first started um brainstorming about it but it's actually far exceeded those expectations um and the process for pulling it together was actually quite a bit easier than i would have anticipated you know we we basically sat down and just put together a, a dream roster of cso's from you know some of the really big corporates at the frontier of climate action you know companies that are really um at the front of the line when it comes to thinking about how to tackle climate change and we wanted a really well-rounded group so we made this dream list um you know, with with corporates from tech and from food and and from apparel and media um and you know, we've just reached out to them and, and told them about the mission of the fund and how we were approaching investing in sustainability and they were super receptive which was incredible i think they've been excited to get to be part of tackling climate change from a slightly different perspective um and so we've brought on cso's from nike and shopify and netflix and schneider electric and um you know they've been really instrumental in helping us understand the opportunity and challenges in climate from a totally different angle than how we see it every day. You know, we're really looking at emerging technologies um, and assessing how they fit into the landscape versus incumbents, how they compare to each other, um, you know, how innovative, how truly novel their applications are. Whereas, you see know, CSOs at big corporates, they're looking at the challenges that they're facing, they're looking at the problems that they face on a day-to-day basis. And they're able to help us um, understand how these companies, how these new technologies could fit into those problems or how they can solve those problems. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's been incredibly helpful for us to understand what's going on in the market. And it's also been super helpful for our portfolio companies, because a lot of these um, these members of the advisory board actually represent potential customers for some of our companies. So. Um, it's really great to be able to invest in a company and then introduce them immediately to a potential partner or customer.
5: Yeah, I'm sure that if you're a small startup and then you hear, oh, we could maybe connect you with Nike or Netflix, that that's just like a dream come true <laughs> material.
2: Exactly. That's definitely part of the idea.
5: Got it. And Sophie, we're nearly out of time for our call today, but I know that um, that the fund recently had a really interesting and big announcement. So this podcast is airing um, early June. And I know that recently there was yeah, a significant announcement about research investment as well as innovation and startup um, investment. So I think it'd be great to, to recap on that.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's it's something I'm personally incredibly passionate and excited about. Um, so in, in addition to that shared future fund that I mentioned, the Catalytic Capital um, initiative that we have. We have a really exciting new partnership that we're just announcing with the VEAS Institute at Harvard University. Um, So we're investing $15 million into a new initiative that's um, called the Laboratory for Sustainable Materials Research and Innovation. And this lab is focused on creating new intellectual property and commercializing novel sustainable materials. Um, And it's it's yeah, it's really exciting. It's one of the ways we're trying to sort of catalyze the whole climate sector, um, but in new materials, especially because, as we talked about, there just hasn't been enough investment into this space. Historically, it's a massive problem, but it hasn't gotten the same attention that sectors like transportation maybe have gotten in the past. Um, And there have been a ton of breakthroughs in the past couple of years particularly within synthetic biology that have made the science um, at a point where we feel that the door door is opening for transformational technology, for transformational companies to really, really kind of have a massive impact on climate. Um, And so the the idea is to usher more companies through that door so they can reach scale and have maximum impact um, and it's been great partnering with the Beast Institute and, and Harvard, and obviously it's a beacon for innovation and brilliant minds, um, particularly within synthetic biology. So uh we're we're really excited to make the announcement and we're we're just getting started. So definitely look out for more updates on some of the really novel tech that's coming out of that lab.
5: I definitely will, and massive congratulations on that and good luck with the work. Um, to come so i 'll keep an eye out for that, but for today, Sophie, i think we 're just about out
2: of time for our
5: podcast section. so thank you very much for popping popping on the podcast.
2: Thanks for having me anytime
0: Yes, thank you to Sophie. Really exciting to hear about just how much is happening now in the in this climate innovation space. Okay, so we've covered a lot of ground in the last half an hour or so. Uh, There's plenty more ground still to cover in this episode. So I think it's a good time to take a break. Please don't go anywhere because when we return, Matt's going to be talking to us about his favourite pastime, sustainable cruises. uh, And Sarah's going to be setting us up for a sustainable summer with a special themed quiz. See you in a sec. You are listening to Sustainability Uncovered, brought to you in partnership with Lloyds Bank. The ED team are delighted to have partnered with Lloyds Bank for this podcast series as they support UK business in the transition to a more sustainable future. Businesses of all sizes have the chance to power and accelerate this transition and seize the huge opportunities presented by it. Lloyds Bank works with clients not only to help finance this transition but also to understand the challenges they face and the business prospects they look to capitalise on. To find out more, search Lloyds Bank Sustainability. Lending is subject to status. Welcome back to Sustainability Uncovered, I'm joined here still in the studio by Edie's sustainable take on Destiny's Child, that is Matt May, Sarah George and Jade Burnett. Oh, and so I'm Beyonce.
6: Beyonce. No, that's I am so Beyonce. i got there first. I
0: got there first. I'm in rank on Beyonce. Did that segue work Jade? Three people in Destiny's Child, is that right?
6: It absolutely did but okay, I lost good. out on Beyonce tickets so I'm really salty about uh, it.
0: I thought I did have to ask you even how many festivals you're out and about at the moment. I think between us, it's a sort of a good barometer of, for life, because Jade's spending her weekends at festivals, Sarah's sunning it up on holidays. Matt, you've reached that slightly later point in life where you're considering cruises now, so tell us about this next segment of the podcast.
4: <laughs> I mean, I've never been on a cruise, and just because I can't apply to 30 Under 30 anymore doesn't mean I'm automatically <laughs> like, okay, let's go cruising. Granted, my weekend is just going to be sitting in a San in my garden, which is what you do on a cruise, essentially, so... Yeah. Maybe you're right. <laughs> Maybe you're right. Um, no, we, we're going to speak to MSC Cruises. Uh, we spoke to them, not sure if it was last year or the year before, for Net Zero November. Um, they announced a big Net Zero strategy for their cruise liners. And this isn't just the case of decarbonizing a ship or a boat, this is essentially decarbonizing a, sh- a ship. With a small town sitting on top of it, in terms of the kind of the hotel they have as well, mm. so it's not just okay. How do we power this ship? It's how do we deal with the waste on board? How do we power the hotel and the rooms? It's it's generally a huge task, and so we're going to sit down. It's a very timely interview as well, which um, we'll, we'll touch upon. Um, they're about to. I don't know what the term is if it's break ground or or where you smash the little champagne bottle oh, over yeah. the ship. I don't know if they do that. Um, for, for sustainability ship cruises, I'm not sure. But essentially this, um, this ship is going, as we speak, on its naming ceremony um, across from France to Copenhagen. Uh, and we're chatting with MSC's uh, sustainability leader, Lyndon Koppel, to understand a bit more about how that ship runs.
0: Well, let's get straight into it then. So here's Matt's chat with MSC Cruises sustainability director, Lyndon Koppel, in full.
4: Earlier this month MSC Cruises announced that it would operate the industry's first net zero greenhouse gas emissions voyage uh when its latest uh flagship cruise of the um liquefied natural gas powered MSC uh Eurevia and I'll double check with MSC in a second and I pronounced that right um leaves her shipyard in uh Saint Nazaire in France uh on the way to a naming ceremony which is took place in uh, Copenhagen. So the ship essentially sailed for four days and MSC has claimed that it's uh, that voyage is essentially net zero greenhouse gas emissions and the uh, organisation wants to demonstrate that net zero cruising is actually possible today. So joining me to discuss um, how innovation has been in the heart of that process is the company's Vice President of Sustainability HG, Lyndon Koppel. Lyndon, thank you so much for joining me. Firstly, did I get that name right with the name of the ship or did I pronounce it wrong?
3: Yes, you did get it right, Emma C.
4: Brilliant. That was that was the, the the one thing I wanted to make sure I got um right in that sense. But Lynn, thank you so much um for joining me today. Now um obviously our audience won't um hear this, but it's, um it's just audio. But we're we're on a video call right now, and you're I believe you're actually on the cruise as it's happening right now. Is that correct?
3: Yes. Yes. Um, I'm on the ship. I've been on the ship for a few days um we're actually still at this point still in san Jose in the shipyard we had the delivery ceremony a couple of days ago and we'll be setting off uh tomorrow on our on our net zero voyage
4: great and i'd love to get a bit more of information about what exactly makes this uh, net zero emissions voyage what are the kind of key solutions that you've had to bring in to make this possible
3: yeah yeah thanks matt yeah, I mean, our, you know, we have a target of of net zero emissions 2050, and there's lots of uh, potential innovations that we can adopt to try and get to that point for our entire fleet. At the moment, one of our focus areas is energy efficiency uh, to try and reduce our dependence on, on fuel. Uh, but in order to get to net zero, we really need to look at new technologies and in particular, new low carbon fuels. Um, and this really has has been the factor for this voyage in uh, enabling is uh, to be net zero is the fact that we have actually purchased bio LNG. Um, as you say, this is liquefied natural gas and purchasing of the bio has enabled through the reduction in the greenhouse gases upstream, because these are from bio sources, not from fossil fuel, then we're enabling that, that net zero to happen.
4: I want to come on to the innovation aspects, uh, soon, but you, you mentioned the kind of energy efficiency upgrades you've had to done. And I think a lot of businesses right now are in a climate where they're looking at the low hanging fruits that they can turn to, um, to start making decarbonization cuts straight away. And for, for uh, an initiative like this, uh, net zero cruise essentially, what have been the low hanging fruits that your organization has been able to turn to in order to kind of cut emissions?
3: yeah you know uh, matt our ships are incredibly complex with lots of different technology i mean they're effectively you know a floating town uh that's got to be very independent in the way that it kind of operates so there's lots of opportunity on board to look at the operational efficiency of all those technologies and how they can most effectively work together So that's what we really have teams of people working on. It's looking for those opportunities for energy efficiencies throughout the ship. We take that incredibly seriously, not least because whilst getting to net zero will require new technologies and new fuels, these are inevitably going to be more expensive, certainly initially, uh, because of economies of scale. It's important that we look at making sure that we are driving that energy efficiency so that we're less reliant on the fuel that we need and the other fact is not just the commercial aspects but also uh, very much a physical uh, or logistical issue is that a lot of these newer fuels new fuels new low carbon fuels may well have to have a greater storage volume because they don't have the same efficiency per unit volume than your conventional fuels have so we're already with this ship Having to build in greater storage capacity for the liquefied natural gas uh, to compensate for the fact that there isn't that same energy associated with every um, with the with the volume of the fuel that we carry.
4: So that sounds like that's kind of one of the areas where, if the if the whole sector is going to push to net zero, that that's going to be one of the kind of innovation areas that's going to need scaling up. Is, is there any other kind of Cutting edge solutions that that you you guys are exploring that that maybe can be trialed on on a on a ship by ship basis, but aren't quite ready for for wild scale options That you believe will actually make it a huge difference towards your your net zero
2: target.
3: Yeah, I mean, we one thing we can do is 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 working with the technology providers, the engine providers, to improve the efficiency of those of the of, of the engines, and also ensure that that we can find what we would call fuel flexible approaches so we have engines that can take different types of fuel so that as those fuels become available we can start making that gradual transition um you know i mentioned something like a bio or or even a synthetic alternative if we can have these as drop in then it means that it would be very easy if we go to places where those fuels are available but when it comes to a completely different type of technology um one of the exciting technologies that we've looked at that we put on one of our ships that was launched last year MSC World Europa is something called a fuel cell and basically it's a completely different way of generating electricity and heat um than the internal combustion engine that we traditionally use so we've we're actually trialing a demonstration fuel cell and the hope is that as um As we learn about how this works and how effective it is, then we can work with the technology providers to scale that up uh, to a point potentially where that could fulfill the hotel load of the ship. You know, we have two main requirements for energy on board. One is to propel for propulsion for the to move the ship through the water, and the other is powering and providing all the energy needs for the hotel that effectively sits on top of the ship. And, um, and to have a, a fuel cell that can, that can work very efficiently, uh, and is able to take new fuels in the future. For example, a green hydrogen, it could run on green hydrogen would be a really good step in that direction on that journey to net zero.
4: No, absolutely. That sounds like, um, going to be exciting, uh, development to keep an eye on. And obviously this one, uh, you mentioned it's kind of using the bio, um, Drop in aspect and, and bio is a word that um, can mean a lot of things. Um, so and I'm, I'm sure that you guys at MSC Cruises have kind of done your due diligence to ensure that, that this is a, a sustainable option because bio is a bit like when, well, a bit like when a company can use the word sustainable, it can mean different things and not necessarily deliver the, the emission cuts it's promised. So, so it'd be kind of introduced uh, kind of not quite a methodology, but a practice to ensure that you are, you are powering your ships with, with stuff that is making a difference.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we spend a long time with this bio, working with the supplier and also with um with uh, what we call our class society. So kind of independent organisations that can look at what the actual benefits are. And it's also um we're looking at only uh, fuels that can be certified. So, you know, there's a number of certification organisations that look at the whole the whole life cycle of this fuel um look at where it's come from making sure it's from a sustainable source you know we really can't uh be in a position where we're looking at a fuel that has um you know that uh doesn't fulfill the either the lower greenhouse gas emissions or has any other potential kind of sustainability impact or challenge associated with it no
4: absolutely thank you for um clarifying that and, and I suppose um, in the in the interest of time, because you're obviously extremely busy getting, <laughs> preparing for this uh, this voyage. But what what happens after after this once this uh, once it kind of arrives in Copenhagen for the for the series? What's the next step on your net zero journey?
3: Yeah, I mean it's really pushing these technologies and the fuels. As I said, I mean every minute of every day the energy efficiency continues to be important. So that is always going to be on our agenda, working closely with the technology teams that we have both onshore and on the ship itself making sure they're all working very closely together to make sure that we can we we can optimize every single voyage that we do but then we really need to make sure that we can identify the technologies that we need and also making sure that we work and um lobby for the scaling up of some of these future fuels because of course we're not going to be the only industry that's going to be looking at new and innovative fuels for the future. So it's really important that we make sure that those, those fuels are available at the scale that we need.
4: Yeah, it sounds like you're doing a lot of external collaboration, not just with suppliers, but, but kind of looking at the, the, the policy frameworks. So how how important is it that, that businesses look outside their kind of, I suppose, four walls, um, uh, to, to kind of give it a metaphorical lens to, to, to drive change, to, to unlock aspects of innovation? Because this isn't something a, a business can do alone, is it?
3: absolutely not i mean our collaboration is extensive and it has to be you know um with with our shipyards with the providers of the technology but also at a, as I mentioned at a at a political level you know we do not shy away from a regulatory environment as long as it um achieves the kind of results that helps everybody you know you know every piece of legislation has got to be making sure that we really are sensibly uh, able to achieve these goals that we've set ourselves Uh, so we're very supportive of a regulatory environment and we really want to be able to send the right signals and messages to the potential providers of these fuels uh giving them the right signals that they need to scale up you know i mean that's ultimately what we want you know there's a huge chasm between saying we can use certain fuels the potential to use them and actually having them available Okay,
4: brilliant. Um, well, Lyndon, thank you so much for for your time today. That was all I um, really wanted to ask. Um, I, I don't know if there's like a, a specific term you meant to to say to someone before they go on a trip to wish them good luck on a, on a boat. I know there there, there can be some uh, some some sayings, but um, safe journeys, I suppose, is the only one that comes to mind.
3: That works. Thank you, Matt.
4: <laughs> thank you, Linden. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much to Lyndon and to MSC Cruises, who I'm sure will be welcoming Matt uh, aboard sometime in the near future. Right, now that brings us to the final part of this bumper episode of Sustainability Uncovered. Uh, and no episode is complete without our very own Big Fat Sustainability Quiz. But Sarah, after our last episode, I think your topical quizzes, I felt, were becoming a bit too highbrow. We need to tone it down a bit. Well, it <laughs> might be some of the reason. Um, so hopefully something a bit easier. What have you got for us this week?
5: Yeah, so it's a summer-themed um, okay. quiz. So we've already done cruises, so I'm going to be doing festivals, hotels and barbecues to get us all in the in the summer vibes. OK,
0: we can do this. So uh, Matt and Jade, notepads at the ready. Got my yeah. big
4: red pen.
5: So as we've got an extra person, I am cutting the quiz down from five questions to three. There's then a bonus question if we do have um, any ties. Mm-hmm. Um, so are we all ready? Yeah. You ready. For our three summer quiz questions, the first of which is, um, what percentage of waste generated at festivals in the UK each summer goes to landfill. So this is a percentage please. I see some scribbling so I'm going to move swiftly on. Um, Second question is all about your holidays. Um, What percentage of global emissions are attributable to hotels and other holiday accommodation? Hmm. So another percentage question. And I'm returning to waste for our third and final questions. Um, Every year in the UK, the British throw away tonnes of barbecue food during peak season. So that's July and August. How many millions of pounds is this barbecue food waste worth? Lots of scribbling going around. So I think because these are all numerical, we're going to have to do points to the person that's the closest if no one's completely spot on. Um, because I think the odds of people being completely spot on might be not be that great. Um, I'll go straight back through in the same order. So each year UK festivals generate tons of waste, but what proportion goes to landfill? About
0: 85%. I went 85.
4: I've
5: eighty written 85%. No way we all put
0: 85%. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, generally <laughs> have, generally have. Yeah,
5: that's incredible. No way! There's something run going on in the studio <coughs> here. You're all a bit too pessimistic, actually. It's only 68% mm. that yeah. gets... Uh, so we will um, get points. Um, more point. pleased that we that's were sort of in sure sync with the right? yeah. I mean, yeah. we'll No points to nobody, oh right? yeah. guys. No points to anyone. Well,
0: I mean, we, yeah, at least we were over. We were h- higher than what actually. Yeah, it actually is. Yeah. Still yeah. not great, but anyway. At
5: least you're pleasantly surprised. Um, next question. Hotels and other holiday accommodation account for what percentage of global annual greenhouse gas emissions?
6: Fourteen.
0: I put four. I meant two. Yeah, it's going to be low, isn't it?
5: Oh, it's two percent. It's so yes. Matt takes the point. Spot um, on. Bonus point, I believe. Yeah. For context, agriculture is something like 16 to 20 percent. Right. So that's quite, <laughs> quite again, right. you guys are being pessimistic. Um, third and final question is probably the hardest one to an- answer, I wouldn't have got this. Um, what is the value of the barbecue food binned across the UK in August and July in millions of pounds?
0: 142 million. 250.
5: 589 million. Oh, I think Jade's won this because it's 428 million. 428 so think...
0: million pounds worth of food is yeah, wasted. And this,
5: this was pre-price crisis, so if the same amount of food is wasted... <laughs> Um, it'll be worth more now. Yeah. What was
4: the actual answer? I just to yeah, do a bit massive. Let's some inflation
5: Four two eight. So I think it's Jade, but I d- I write. I don't calculate. So just if gonna, Matt Sorry, Max. Give me a bit of I mean, a bit of I mean, math. I just want
4: to point out I got an answer spot on, uh, which no one else has done. So I should technically win this quiz. Just 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 want to put that. Up Wait, there.
5: it was at two percent. It was two oh. percent. Yes, but I do have bonus question that you can okay, buy it fantastic. out. As well. So you are,
4: hundreds, you are one hundred you are one hundred sixty three million off.
5: Yeah. <laughs> What's the casual 165
4: million? Between oh, I was, oh, was
0: 176 million. Off. Yes. Uh, so Jade wins I that one. Right. So the scores were we all got a point on the first one. Well, no, and one then got a point on the first Matt one. Matt a point, on the, point on the second, Jade a point on the third. So yeah. it's a tiebreaker between Matt and Jade here. I
4: feel like I should get a bonus point, but sure.
6: What for being spot on? Yeah. You answered the question correctly. Mm-hmm. End of story.
4: Yeah, and you answered the question incorrectly and have the same amount of points as yeah. me. where I'm coming
5: yeah.
0: from. If you're confident, Matt, you'll win this bonus question. So. Let's, <laughs> Let's go, go for the bonus question. We're going to have on. to
5: go for a bonus question. I'm not accepting Matt's excuse. Um, so, on the festival waste question, the bonus question is how many tonnes of waste do UK festivals produce each year? So, it's in the thousands of tonnes. We haven't got all day.
4: Uh, uh,
6: 28,000 tonnes. OK. Matt?
4: I'm just going to go. Twenty nine. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's no. I was gonna go. Um, I was gonna go forty thousand.
6: It's twenty three thousand five hundred. Meaning Jade is <sighs> yes, closer, sir. and she takes the title.
5: Yes. well <laughs> done, Jade. See
6: lower brow quizzes. That's my thing.
5: Well done, Jade. <laughs> <laughs> right. So Jade's just won. Yes. Well, well done, Jade. Apparently deserved.
4: <laughs>
0: Moral of that story, none of us know how to have a sustainable summer, essentially. Anyway, I think that is just about a wrap for episode eight of Sustainability Uncovered. Sarah, perhaps you can give us a preview of what's coming up in the next episode.
5: Yeah, so next episode is going to be all about climate finance. Um, So keep your, keep your, uh, I was going to say keep your eyes peeled, but this isn't the visual format. Keep your ears peeled. Um, for that one. We all know that green innovation isn't going to be delivered without finance. Um, Mm. We know none of this is going to be delivered without finance. So really big, really crucial, really in-depth episode coming. Um, But before we jump the gun and look into July already, I did want to quickly come back to uh, um, something we're doing this month, June 2023. Um, On the 28th, we're going to be hosting an online event all about net zero innovation for your business. Um, so do check that out on the webinars and masterclasses section of our website. It's the afternoon of the 28th um, of June, but it will be available on demand if you're busy that day. So if you've enjoyed this episode, and we really hope you have, um, do, do check that out for more innovation-themed fun.
0: Yeah, and we'll include a link in the uh, description for the podcast episode.
5: Can you- Peel your ears. You, you can um- your ears. I can.
4: I, I won't do it now because it's a podcast, but... I wouldn't
5: recommend peeling your eyes, so it's a figure of speech.
4: Peeling your eyes is like the eyelid's peeling back, isn't it? That makes sense to me.
5: Will Matt give me a break in the next (laughs) episode? Find out next (laughs) month.
0: (laughs) We'll continue this conversation off air. Um, I must say a huge thanks to all of our podcast guests who featured in this episode of Sustainability Uncovered. A special thanks as ever to our podcast partner, Lloyds Bank. Until next month, it's a goodbye from Matt. Goodbye. Goodbye from Sarah. Goodbye. And a goodbye from Jade. Goodbye us. And goodbye from me as well. Goodbye.